0: But first today, how can we foster better ties with the region closest to us, Southeast Asia, and prompt more mutual prosperity? It's a challenge thrown out to one of Australia's most respected business leaders by the Albanese government. Late last year, it appointed ex Macquarie Bank chief, Nicholas Moore, to explore how Australia could capitalize on the potential of whole new classes of Southeast Asian citizens emerging into considerably more wealth. The Australian's Amanda Hodge, a guest on Saturday Extra last week, has reported that by 2040, 26 million households there could boast disposable incomes of more than $35,000. Well, Mr Moore's clearly thrown himself into the fray. He's travelling in the region to grasp where possibilities might lie now. A veteran observer, Professor Tony Milner, is keenly interested in this, while warning that attitudes to wealth creation and partnering have been changing a lot in the region of late, while we've rather turned our gaze to other areas like China. I'll let him explain. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Do you support this move? Do you think it's a good idea to explicitly expand our involvement via the appointment of someone like Nicholas Moore?
1: Yeah, I I think it could be good. Um, And I think the sort of things the government and the foreign minister have been saying about our relations with Southeast Asia are very positive recently. We saw something of that shift in that direction with Maurice Payne, but... uh, we needed much more and we're getting much more now, and that, that's positive. The disappointment could be positive. I mean, he's but, been so, gone, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a long way to go <laughs> in current relations with Southeast Asia. You've got work to do.
0: Yes, you that's your central point in writing that you made, you did uh, late last year, that it's going to be more complicated uh, relations between us and the region than in previous times. Why so?
1: Well, partly the relativities have changed. I mean, we we really mattered you know, a few decades ago, um, and we matter less really now, and we've got to work at that. I mean, not only the obvious thing, we're very weak in terms of our investment in the region, and that's what he's got to address, very weak. But uh, our GDP was not all that long ago, larger than the whole of the ASEAN GDP put together, and now they're more than double ours uh, their growth rates, I suppose. I'm not an economist, but I think it's about twice ours. This is a really dynamic region. Uh, ASEAN, our second biggest trading partner, but I think we're only their eighth or ninth biggest trading partner, sort of two to three percent of their trade. Um, and we also have got a lot more competition in the region. Korea meant nothing. Uh, Couple of decades ago, in terms of the economy of Southeast Asia, now they do well over twice as much trade there as we do. So these are these are challenges for us. Now we 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 don't uh, we don't rank as easily as we did in the past.
0: No, that's the point you make. That uh, in fact, maybe you could talk about um, the. 2022 ISEAS study, which you believe offers some challenging responses, some really it sort of in, it articulates some of these um, differences you're describing.
1: Yeah, well, it's partly it, it's it's what what is, what is that, that
0: survey by the way, if you wouldn't mind?
1: But they were looking at opinion leaders around the region and seeing how they felt about different uh, dialogue partners that ASEAN has, and you know it's structured in a way that didn't help us particularly, but still. You know, when it came to education uh, provision of, if you like, Western education in the region, we do okay. Um, but we we're not seen as significant players in a whole lot of other areas. Uh, really, quite low percentages given to Australia, and even in things like um, our role in influencing promoting free trade and a rules based order, we don't come through very strongly. So, um, you know, you it, it's bothering. It's bothering. We do have work to do.
0: Whereas I mean, just, you said a, a de- mm. you know, twenty years ago, we mm. were there, uh, brokering peace in Cambodia, and we were playing a major role in the Cairns Group of um, discussions about trade and so <laughs> on. That's all sort of changed, has it? Again, is that the right question to ask?
1: Yeah, I, I think we were much more active then. I mean, we, we were larger vis-à-vis Southeast Asian countries then, of course. Um, I went to a museum in Sabah a year or two ago, and I was surprised by a, a newspaper there, which was there historically announcing the creation of uh, Malaysia in the mid-1960s. And on the front page, it said that... Uh, Prime Minister Menzies welcomed this. I mean, it was it was the important thing to say that it was such a good development that even Australia welcomed it. Now, I don't think we'd make that front page in the same way anymore today. And yet, we've got to admit that I suppose it's thirty years ago now. We worked together very effectively with Indonesia to uh, to bring about a transition in Cambodia. We did work, as, as you say, that creating that Cairns Group. Later on, under the, the Liberal mm-hmm. government, we worked hard on the uh, Bali process for people movement. And there, we worked hard with Indonesia. And I think that relationship with Indonesia, just as it was in the Cambodia situation, was very good. Mm-hmm. The lesson, really... In recent times, is is collaborating? I mean, work with Southeast Asians. I saw a phrase the other day in an article written by a colleague of mine. It's still referring to Southeast Asia as our back, gar- back garden, or backyard. I mean, that's that's not it's not a way of capturing for the Australian public mm. the extraordinary. The extraordinary range of countries around us now.
0: Actually, Nicholas Moore has been published in the past fortnight in uh, the Singapore business media, talking up the trustworthiness of Australian trading partners and the history of involvement, uh, what is already impressive, but uh, what lies waiting as well. Asking especially what more could be done to boost dealings and whether governments can help. Now, do you believe it can? Do other governments help their businesses more? Has that been your observation?
1: That is my observation, but uh, I'm not an economist, but that's the, the sense I have of it. I'm also worried that when I speak to business people in Australia, they talk about all the risks of investment in the Southeast Asia region, but then I look at the figures and the, uh, the Americans are certainly investing, the Europeans are investing, the, the, the um, the Swiss, the Dutch investing heavily. It's not just Asian countries investing there. Well, there's something going wrong there. We, we just don't appear in terms... And we talk about trustworthiness and so forth. We Do we not trust the region? Why can't we be in there? Why, why can't we be leaders in that way?
0: Well, you do make the point that um, we may not fully grasp some of the temperaments that are there. Like there's, there's quite a lot of protectionist mindsets, I think you make yep. the point, and there's uh, quite a lot of autocratic mindsets. So, some people might be listening today and say, yes, but there's also a lot of risk there and we've got to be careful about that.
1: Well, I, I think that's, there is risk. There's risk everywhere. But there's, um, um, there's potential. And obviously, um, as I, the sort of European countries I've just mentioned, there are people there who see the potential, and we need to see that potential. But of course, we are also in a situation which has again changed, that um, you know, a few decades ago, um, the United States was absolutely dominant, and they are our great ally, and that had to be helpful to us. It's now a much more contested situation the doctrines the United States endorsed, like liberal democracy, very powerful across the region. But as these countries have got further and further away from the colonial period, I think they're less devoted to developing democracy in the way we might have hoped. And they've got other thoughts about political structures. And we've simply got to come to terms with that, I think. And and also uh, their handling of business, we need to come to terms with.
0: Well, is there an appetite... There for more trading with the, with say the Canadians, the Americans, the Koreans, the Japanese than there is with us.
1: No, I don't think that's the case. I, I think, I think we actually. Uh, Compared, for instance, to the Europeans, I think we're seen or perhaps it's our officials are seen to be more sensitive to Southeast Asian perspectives. And I hear this from officials around the place recently in in Malaysia, but in other countries too, that they quite like the way our our officials have a sense of the region. We've had a long involvement in the region. This is a fantastic asset, our long involvement. We need to build on that. Um, But we're not building it on particularly. I mean, we, we don't have an historian of Southeast Asia at the moment at the ANU. That is extraordinary, a place that once led the world in Asian studies. So our capacities are limited in that way. Mm. So it's partly that knowledge of the region, but also appreciation of the different perspectives across the region. The, uh, go on. You no, know, the problematizing, I suppose, of liberal democracy is difficult for us. I mean, we, we still have many people who think in understandably in human rights, liberal democratic terms, and they're important and they're important to us, but they won't matter quite so much in the region. There'll be other priorities. It's not as though they don't care. It's just they, we get frustrated with ASEAN, for instance. We say, why don't they do this and that? Why don't they handle the the Myanmar situation? Throw Myanmar out. But we've got to appreciate how powerful the desire is to hold ASEAN together that sense of creating regional unity is so important. It's not just that they're pathetic uh, but they want to, they want to hold together that unity and that comes up in the handling of China in the South China Sea. They're working to maintain that unity and it's often very difficult and they understand they understand the criticism of some of the things they've done as a result. but that's an important imperative.
0: Yeah, they're also spending massively on defence. I think it's a 60% up, actually, I think you put in, compared with about a decade ago, because they are concerned about China and about their area being, um, you know, uh, in focus, shall we say. Uh, But just uh, very interesting about attitudes. There is a view uh, in some of the writing that the board's, back here in Australia, the boardrooms, um, have actually taken their eyes completely off Southeast Asia and they're much more concerned with failures. That is, Australians are more likely to invoke cautionary tales of epic failures than success stories, is one of the things I read. Um, we have actually less investment in, say, Vietnam than Lego does, um, the, the Danish toy and games company. So, you know, can you, can you see this
1: changing I think, I think it's really important. I mean, the, the Southeast Asia is getting enormous amount of investment. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I, I think, world-leading in this. Uh, so it's economic expansion, investment coming in from all directions. I mean, when I say all directions, not just from other Asian countries, from China, Japan and so forth, United States, um, Europe. Um, quite striking. Uh, and they are the biggest uh, I believe as a group as the as the biggest trade partner with China So this is a region that really matters. We talk a lot about India, but I I think I'm right that the ASEAN GDP is larger than the Indian one and certainly bigger in trade terms in in the world than India. So we're missing something. Here's an area we've spent decades in. We were involved with Indonesia back in the 1940s, whatever. We've got a record of involvement. We've got officials. We used to have academics with strong knowledge of that region, a business community with some. Certainly, a trading way involvement, but we're not using those assets, and that is really worrying.
0: So, a quick final question: Then, can you imagine a recommendation to the government from someone like Nicholas Moore that actually does change things? It's really a question of, you know, what can governments do in conjunction with business leaders to to change a, a change a mindset here in Australia, an investment mindset.
1: Well, we, we've got to work hard on the, on the way we're perceived in the region. That's why that Southeast Asia survey from Singapore is important. But, gosh, we've got to work hard in Australia. And I think we, we've got to get Southeast Asia into our imagination. Looking at those lowy poles, the one line in our thinking about the world is that we're a U.S. ally. I mean, that is just not good enough. We ought to be a US ally, yeah, but much more than that. A country identifying itself as deeply involved in Southeast Asia. And if we do that, it's not just important for its own sake, But that will up our influence, influence in Washington even, influence in Beijing, influence in Tokyo. If we get it right with Southeast Asia, if we can think ourselves, imagine ourselves in that region, be a bit more creative, that'll affect our relationships all over the place. So it's not just Southeast Asia for its own sake, but Southeast Asia through to a a larger Asia policy.
0: Thank you very much indeed for joining us again. Thank you. Professor Tony Milner, he's a senior advisor to AsiaLink at the University of Melbourne and visiting professor as well at the University of Malaya. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.